This is a Soulfire production. What's up, everyone? Welcome back to Get Psyched. Lindsay here and sitting down with my inspiration, Miss Tiffany Luis. Tiffany is amazing. I know I say that all the time, but holy smokes, Tiffany has been my biggest inspiration, such a guiding light for me in the realm of mental health and really developing as a therapist. Tiffany has 20 years experience in mental health, ranging from addiction and codependency and toxic relationships, and now works a lot with women, not just women, but mostly women, on creating conscious connections, whether that's to self, to other, in platonic and romantic relationships, creating something that you can hang your hat on, that you believe in, that you show up as your full, authentic self to. We all have trouble with that, you guys, and I cannot wait for you to hear today's episode with Tiffany as she gives not only tools, but very, very vulnerable insight as to how she started creating conscious change in her own life. Also, while we're talking about conscious change, be sure to head over and listen to Crying Behind Sunglasses. Yes, laugh, smile, you know that hits home, you know we've all done it. When we have a breakdown, or as Tiffany quite eloquently explains today, a break open, sometimes we hide it behind some sunglasses but nothing about mental health is shameful. We want to normalize mental health. We want to normalize the human experience and crying behind sunglasses does just that. So while you're over in the iTunes store, giving this show a five-star rating and review, go ahead and listen, subscribe, and leave a review for my girl over at Crying Behind Sunglasses. I'm so excited for you guys to hear today's show. Enjoy. So Tiffany, thank you so much for sitting down with me. I, from the moment I met you at Kelly's event year and a half ago, I was like, oh, this is my girl. I love everything she's saying, all of the messages that she has. I've geeked out and girl crushed all over your social media, even though you've kind of taken a step back from it this year, which I'm sure we'll get into later. But I'm so excited to be bringing this conversation to people. So thank you. Thank you for having me. And I'm so happy to support you and your podcast and your light in the world. I felt the same. I I had heard about you from Kelly and she had talked about like what a wonderful friend you were to her and to Connor. And I was like, she just feels like, like, like sunshine and a human and so kind. And you're such a, even in the small conversations we had throughout that, you know, weekend, you just listened um, and such, such a generous spirit with like your compliments and in your conversation, I find that to be so rare. So I appreciate having this conversation with you. And as I told you, I'm not saying yes to a lot of these, but I, I'm happy to do this for you. Um, I feel so you. honored to, yeah. to have gotten the yes. Um, for listeners, would you mind just giving a little bit of background, who you are, what you're doing now? Yeah. So, um, I, it's wild. Um, when you start to like say how long you've been doing stuff for, so I'm a, you know, trained as a B 
behavioral health um, clinician. Um, I have a master's degree in social work, um, two undergrads in psychology and women's studies. I was really focused on women's um, treatment, gender specific treatment, um, you know, identifying as, as uh, women throughout most of my career. Um, and I worked in um, addiction treatment centers. I worked in mental health for over a decade. Um, I did applied behavioral analysis early on in my career um, for eight or nine years with children on the spectrum, working really on a lot of like applied, you know, um, behavior shifting, what motivates us, what doesn't. Um, so really the last 20 years, I started doing that work when I was 18. Um, they gave me an early pass to start. Normally you had to start working um, in ABA when you were like a sophomore in college and they let me start early. Um, so it's been 20 years of helping people change in every level of care. And I don't know, maybe like five years ago, I, I, I had always known that I was gonna do my own thing. I had always known that I wanted to coach people and serve people, you know, in my own capacity, but I really wanted to be qualified to do that. I wanted to know where the line was between coaching and therapy. I wanted to know how to serve people at all of those levels. And so about five years ago, I started to take what I was doing behind closed doors in private confidential settings and treatment centers um, onto my own platform. It wasn't easy, wasn't comfortable for me. Um, if I had my way, I'm happier off of social media. So I really do it um, because there's a calling on my heart to serve in that way, to help people who wouldn't otherwise have access to some of these messages. Um, and now my, my work has really started to shift um, into not just only, but primarily working on relationships, um, coaching women um, through that uh, process of really strengthening that relationship with oneself, because that's where it all starts. We know it. It's so cliche, but it's really difficult to create anything of quality with another human being if we don't have a good relationship here. So relationship with self and others um, has really been the focus of my study, both in my personal life, because I've had, we teach what we need to learn, right? And I've had to really learn a lot of these powerful lessons for myself over the years. Um, and now I'm blessed to be able to serve um, and teach my clients. Um, so that's kind of me in a nutshell, but I, I believe in the resilience of the human spirit. I believe in radical change. And what's cool is I have a lifetime, a file cabinet of the most miraculous change, of the most miraculous transformation um, you could ever see. So whenever anyone's sitting in front of me, I see the potential um, in all of us to create a different life. I've, I've created a different life. Um, in many ways from what I experienced when I was younger. And um, so I'm just really about supporting that um, in others. So hopefully this conversation will be a support to whoever's listening. Oh, I'm sure. I can't tell you how many times I have girls slide into my DMs after conversations, especially when people are willing to be raw and vulnerable and talk about their own struggle with all of these things. Yeah. Um, I know when I was going through school to get my degree for counseling psychology, um, this, the common theme was like, your clients will be your teachers. Your clients will be your biggest mirror. And until I started seeing clients and I watched codependency walk into my room, I watched weak boundaries walk into my room and all these different things. I was like, oof, like Linz, you've got some work. Mm -hmm. um, what I'm really interested in, especially because you have so long working in addiction treatment, mm 
and now have kind of transitioned more into working mostly with women in relationship. Do you notice any parallels between the two worlds, between addiction and relationship? Yeah. I mean, toxic relationships follow the same trajectory of addiction. Codependency follows the same trajectory of outsourcing our power to something else or someone else. Um, And I always say that it's so beautiful how God orchestrated my path in that I spent so much of my time really helping people heal one of the most difficult things to heal. You know, when we are suffering from a chemical or a process addiction, our, our brain is hijacked essentially. And, uh, you know, our brain is rewired to say, I need this more than I need the things that are the most important to me in terms of my values, my safety, my family, my health. Um, and so that, experience when you sort of get down to the brass tacks of what change it requires of us um you see that all change whether it's in relationship patterns whether it's in the way that we see the world through anxious thoughts or um, health behaviors it's it's really all like fundamentally the same so there's so much synergy and so much overlap for the big part of what addiction is, is learning to trust oneself, learning to communicate in new ways, learning to create different relationships, because most people, when they are healing from addiction, are are having to rewire so much of their lives, leave old friendship groups, leave jobs that weren't supporting them, um, engage in totally different behaviors, like showing up to meetings or working with a sponsor, doing the deep work in trauma therapy or whatever it might be. So all of these things are really the same. It's just might be a different topic. Um, and, and because addiction is such a familial generational, um, it's a genetic component, but such a learned behavior, um, in our family systems, all of those, I mean, I did just thousands of family sessions and couple sessions and phone calls and teaching families sitting in a room, how to engage with one another in a different way, learning how to communicate in a way that's personally responsible rather than outsourcing blame, Um, learning how to ask people to be accountable. Um, And all of those things really apply to relationships, right? Um, So it's, it's been the best um, crossover and then most natural development for me to sort of move from those space, one space to another. Um, Talking about the same stuff, but just maybe different words. Right. Different context. Yeah. It's, you know, when we talk about taking this radical responsibility for the way that we show up um, and not projecting or placing blame, when you start to introduce that concept to people, I notice like huge walls, massive amounts of defensiveness. How do you break it down? How do you make radical uh, honesty sound sexy or sound doable? Yeah. And I think that's, it's a big deal because when we have been victimized, there's a difference between occupying a victim mentality. And this is what we talk about a lot in the rooms of addiction. Like many of us have been victims of abuse and of crime and of pain and of, you know, uh, inequity and oppression and, and uh, systems that, that don't work in our family and socioeconomic disadvantages and, 
and all of the things that are unfair about life. And I think the first step is to validate someone's experience, right? It's the, it's the DBT yes, but, right? It's the yes, this happened. Let's acknowledge it. Let's ask, ask for accountability. Let's ask, let's validate your experience because so many of us have these experiences invalidated and then we, we are searching for that everywhere we go. Um, so that, that first step is to say, yes, in this way, this was unfair. You were, you were raised in this environment. You were taught this, this happened. And, and that can take years and that can be an ongoing process of validation and doing that work with a therapist and doing that healing work. And then the but is the, the but is the, the freedom that you have to make a new choice because the only, we learn over and over and over and over again that the, the, this paradox of life is that we have so little control over so much, and yet we have control over the most important thing, which is the choices that we make about how we speak to ourselves, the behaviors that we take. And so that but is where all of the empowerment lies, where all of that decision-making, where all of that agency, where all of that, this might've been my family's um, experience and I can turn a new leaf and create a different behavior, not without pain and not without hardship, but that, that personal responsibility for what is yours. Marianne Williamson, in one of my favorite books of all time, um, A Return to Love, talks about taking responsibility for the part that's yours, whether it's 5% or 1%, because that part will set you free and that's the part that you can do something about. Um, and and I believe that that piece of um, agency is what gives people hope. It's what people feel in the stories of others, whether it's in the rooms of recovery, whether it's it, clients listening to me, seeing how I shifted some of the behaviors around relationships to create different outcomes. And that's where that, like, I can create something different out of this past. And, and I'm obviously those who know me or follow me know that I have a, a very spiritual lens to life. And I believe wholeheartedly that, that we have the ability to create beauty from those ashes. Um, and that our life is not always fair, but we, I believe that God, love, the universe, spirit, whatever you want to call it. Um, when we work and co-create with that force, we have the ability to create something even better um, that we can get double for our trouble that we can create. And, and again, I have the blessing of seeing this happen. I get a front row seat to watching people create. I mean, I don't talk about this enough, but just like radically different, blessed, full of love and peace lives when you would have looked at their circumstances and think it was impossible. Mm -hmm. um, so the yes, but I think is how we create this willingness of course i validate you i validate your experience and what can i what can you do now to create some agency around where you're going yeah i think people can get so stuck in victim mentality because you're right like there are some heinous heinous things that happen to people and it seems righteously unfair that then it is their job to heal it yes and it's still their job and Yes. You're about to say something. Go ahead. No, no. I think, I think that's it. It's the like, 
I think about this in terms of relationships. I often say that there's this dynamic that so many of us are waiting for someone to save us, waiting for someone to love, to show up with all of the magic stardust of their love. We get infected with the love of being loved, and then it will magically heal us and create a different life. And it's, 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 it can feel like we're just waiting if we haven't had a parent who did parented us in the way that we, we wanted to receive or should have received. There's so many reasons for this, like righteous. It's not fair. You're right. It wasn't. And it's not fair that you had an absent father or your mother was narcissistic and unable to love you and all of those things, like absolutely. And then how do we um, make that shift from, and, and what I love is, I don't know if you're familiar you know, in your research, but it's old, old school transactional analysis. Um, the uh, drama triangle is like yeah. just old school, but good school. So for those of you who are tuning in, you know, just Google that up and you'll see 15 million. I've been using this for, I don't know, 15, you know, 13 years in my work. Um, and the, I remember being in grad school and like learning this and like, Oh, wait, wait, hello. My whole family system just rides around this triangle. And like <laughs> we've all been in therapy and working on healing it. Um, but it, it's, it's inverted. So the bottom of the triangle is when we operate in that victim mentality, when we ask for other people to be responsible for us, when we have this learned helplessness and in the top, two corners are persecutor and rescuer. And we sort of move around this triangle, like I'm going to rescue you in order to be enough. And then I'm going to get mad at you when you're not doing what I want or reciprocating. And then I'm going to persecute you. And it's this very toxic cycle of, you know, where we move around through victimized um, victim thinking versus being a, a real victim um, versus occupying the role of that. And, it's real and it happens to us. And I've sat in that space and I'm sure all of us have. Um, but, but really that, that piece of personal responsibility, um, not negating all of the things that are unfair, but choosing to see how you can create change um, one foot in front of the other um, is really where, where a different life um, can exist and does exist. Um, and that's why I'm willing to walk with people on that path because I know where that bridge can lead. Yeah. And how do you start? Because I, when I have found myself in that triangle mm -hmm. and still to this day, like I would like to say that I am so woke that it never happens, but mm -hmm. I, but mm -hmm. now me too, girl, me too. I consider my, my wokeness, my ability to be aware when I am in that triangle or I'm perpetuating that triangle in some way. Yes. That's the thing. It's not that you never end up there. It's that you can notice when you are there and know how to get yourself off. Yeah. So that was going to be my next question. Once people do have that conscious awareness, how do they start to break that cycle? How do they get out of that triangle? I think it, it's this never ending ongoing dialogue with oneself. It's the curiosity about your experience. It's the, you know, what's happening for me here? What are the stories that I'm telling myself? Where am I taking things personally? Where can I be more personally responsible? Where can I accept powerlessness over someone else, which is that, you know, codependent um, serenity prayer of like learning to accept the only person that you can change is you. And then where can I you know, enact healthy boundaries? Where am I rescuing someone, expecting them to change? Where am I persecuting someone for being just right where they are? And how can I, 
those are all the questions that we have to ask ourselves. Um, and, and it's, I always say we're curious and I've said this on a lot of podcasts, but I'll say it till the day I die. We are curious about the people that we love. We are curious when their mood shifts. We are curious when they're hungry, when we are curious when something's off and we have to learn to have that like deeply compassionate curiosity for oneself because then we can meet what's there. All of our triggers are the gateway to everything that we want. Where do you get the most ruffled in your feathers? Where do you get the most angry? Where do you get the most spiteful? Where do you get the most judgmental? And what's going on there? What are the stories there? And how can we um, shift the way we think, which then shifts the way we feel, which then shifts the way we act? Mm. Um, So curiosity, I think, is the first step uh, to removing ourselves from that triangle and spinning and spinning around on it. And then clarity is the next. Like when we're clear with what we feel and what we need, we can then communicate much more responsibly, right? Oh, I'm expecting him to to do this for me. And I'm responsible for my happiness. And I'm expecting him to change. Um, I remind myself, like people change when they want to, not because you want them to. So if I'm getting here, I'm over here so angry waiting for him to choose me or propose or stop going out or whatever the things are that my clients are talking to me about. Curiosity can lead to truth, which leads to clarity. If I accept these things, then what would I do differently? Mm -hmm. And that's where the empowered choice comes. When we're in the thick of it, when we're in our trigger, we're just acting out of old knee-jerk trauma responses, right? Just doing the thing that we learned to do to survive. Getting passive-aggressive, you know, stonewalling people, doing all the fun shit that we do (laughs) that's just trying to protect ourselves. Um, But when we can validate ourselves, get clear, then we can communicate in a way that's not outsourcing responsibility. Um, And and then we feel more mastery over our lives. Um, And that's where life gets really fun. Why? We're not waiting on others. Oh my gosh. Yes. Yes to all of that. Yes, yes, yes. And when we are starting to get clear, and I can just speak from my own personal experience, when I started getting really curious and getting conscious and clear on what it is, how it was that I needed people to interact with me, the boundaries that I needed to set, why is it so hard? Because you can have all of that conviction. You can know in your soul that this is how I need to be communicated with and touched and held and seen and heard. Why is it so hard to then communicate it? I think there are so many reasons why it's tough. I think it's, we've not been taught that, that, that we've not been taught the scripts to communicate it. I think for the most part, what I found is that women don't know the, or they're struggling to find the language. And a big part of what I do is help my clients have scripts. Um, You know, when I'm coaching in Voxer, you know, voice noting each other, or we're, you know, going through, like, I'm going to ask him about this, or I'm going to communicate with my boss. What is the script? And when we feel like we have language, that's both, you know, respectful, because you can be angry and respectful. You can be angry and still kind, um, because that's your side of the street, right? Um, Women feel much more empowered to have these conversations. So I think it's hard because there's, when we speak up, we're asking for change. And change generally 
comes with some discomfort. And we are usually avoiding that discomfort and moving towards the things that feel comfortable, even if they're uncomfortable. Um, so I think that's part of the struggle is I'm going to have to speak up. And if I ask questions and I don't get the responses that I'm looking for, if he straight up says, you know, I don't really know that I want to get married and we know we want that for ourselves, we can struggle to say that because then there's an outcome that we have to react. Then, then there's a change that has to happen because we can't unknow this anymore. So I think there's a lot of fear that comes with speaking up or setting boundaries. If we were punished in our family of origin for expressing feelings, we're going to shake in our boots when we start to say our feelings to our, our loved ones or our friends. Um, and, and we have to learn to create relationships with people who can have that reciprocity and that two-sided flowing street. And it's tough. It's tough to find emotionally responsible adults. Um, and so when we speak up, when we shift, we know that unconsciously things start to shift and that's scary because even if it's, we're not comfortable, it's what we know. Mm-hmm. So that, that's my, where, where I see most of the discomfort in learning to have these new dialogues. I remember when I started to like receive, when I stopped being the like doer of all things and the super high functioning freaking mom, essentially I was mothering in relationships. Like I'll just nurture you and take care of everything. I've talked about this on my social media. I'll just like be better crocker and like give, 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 give and think that in the giving I will then receive. And so when I started to like no, Tiffany, learn about feminine energy, understand receiving and how receiving is such a gift. Healthy people want to give. Healthy people want there to be reciprocity. They don't want to just be the never-ending receiver. It's only wounded people who are comfortable in that. So either if I, I had to learn how to receive, otherwise I was going to keep calling in people who only wanted to take. And I remember just being like, yes, that would be great if you picked me up. Oh my God, you know, like right. I'm going to inconvenience him. He's going to think I'm high maintenance. All this fucking shit that hangs out in her head. Um, so it's, it's really uncomfortable to change and to, and to make these changes. I'm not trying to minimize any of this. Um, you know, I talk about it like it's easy. I know it's hard. I've, I've walked it and I will continue to. So yeah, I think, um, I think about that. And I think about how saying no to someone I always say yes to. I mean, terrifying. And I would just say it with a, you know, shivering voice and go back to my therapist and be like, it did the right thing, right? You know? <laughs> um, until those muscles got stronger for me. Yeah, I had such a similar experience with my therapist. And it was around, funny enough, again, this is Lindsay being totally transparent and not woke. I had, I was like a serial ghoster serial ghoster. Mm-hmm. And I was talking to my therapist about it and she's like, why do you think you do that? And I was like, well, like, it's just so harsh to tell someone like, I'm just not that into you. And this, that, and the other thing. And she's like, have you ever been ghosted? And I was like, yeah. And she goes, how'd it feel? And I was like, horrible. Like you're, you're just in there just enough. Like, is he actually busy? Like, should I send a follow-up text? And, uh, she was like, yeah, that sounds miserable. Like, would you rather hear, Hey, I'm just not that into you. And like, we, we need to go separate ways or be stuck in this like toxic guessing game for months and months and months. 
Yeah. And so I remember the first time having that conversation with someone, I'm holding my hands up like I'm texting for those who can't see it. I'm like, hey, I have this like really honest, hard thing to say. And it was like the most fumbling I think I've ever done from a communication standpoint. And when I got done, it was like I took a heavy backpack off. And it was like, was it the message that he wanted to hear? No. But is he glad that he like received it and was able to like move forward and make other choices and spend his energy taking other girls on dates and all of these things? Absolutely. But that, and then I went back to my therapist, like with my golden star and I was like, guess what I did? Yes. And we need sometimes that level of hand holding and support in order to shift these things that are wildly uncomfortable, wildly foreign that haven't been modeled for us. Many of these relationship tools, we just haven't seen, we haven't watched, practiced. Um, So yeah, I think that's, I just love that story because there's so much there. There's so much gold there, right? And why do you think you do that? Well, I'm avoiding the discomfort. Well, which discomfort would you choose if it were up to you? Um, And how also, one of the big things, and I'll just use this opportunity because I think there's so much gold here around relationships, as we take, dating is a really tough place because so much of it we take personally. And dating is really about fit. It's really about do these things, do these values, does this time in my life, does this orientation or character, you know, defects or I don't even like that word, character attributes that I have fit with yours. And we say that if you don't like him, it automatically means that he has to think he's not worthy. But for someone else, his fit is perfect. His fit feels just right. And his fit is amazing. And what he has to offer is everything that she could want. And so a big part of like curiosity in all of our relationships is this personalization of not a fit, whether it's a friend that's outgrown you or shift friendships that shifted, whether it's a guy who straight up says like, it's not working for me. I don't see this as like a 40 year rest of our lives kind of thing. And does that mean that you're not worthy? Absolutely not. I always say I'm, you know, I'm married now, but I'm five, 10, three quarters. That means that there are plenty of short men who like tall women, but that means for a good part portion of the population, I'm not a frit right? I could date a guy who's five, seven and would really not feel comfortable dating a woman of my height or whatever it is. Right. And would that mean that I'm not worthy just because it's not what he's attracted to or not what he's interested in? And, and so I think you gave a perfect example of like one, how we become personally responsible and show up with integrity and walk this path in our lives. But two, the importance of, you know, especially in dating, recognizing how things aren't personal. And we can feel like, well, if he would have liked me enough, he would have chosen me. But there's so many things. It could be that you reminded him too much of his mother or his third grade teacher, or that he's not ready. And that's, you know, he's not there and he doesn't want to be committed. And he knows that you're a great girl and you, you, you deserve more. And there's so many layers of this that have nothing to do with you not being enough. Um, and you gave him the gift of being able to move on and find someone who he was a perfect fit for. Yes. I could not stand behind that with any more conviction. 
Um, I think so much of the work that I do, especially with women, is just validating and reinstating enoughness because relationships or otherwise, I just don't know that we're in a system that we hear that at all, let alone enough. No. Enoughness has become this sort of um, external or circumstantial barometer for us as women. I'm enough because I'm successful now, or I make this much in my job, or I have this degree, or I look like this, or I'm this size, or I have, you know, uh, this cool friendship group, or I'm on the scene, or whatever these these constructs are within your community, within your experience. And one of the things that I have, and I love that actually, I don't think I've talked about this on any podcast, so I'm really glad that we're going to get on this subject. What gives us that confidence of enoughness? And there's the difference between self-esteem and worth and self-respect. So esteem Esteem implies esteemable acts. Like esteem is a level. Like you're you're either better here because you've done this or not so great when you do this. And we know human beings run the gamut of that. They are kind and wonderful and they mess up and they lie and they do all these. So if we're only as good as what we do, we're going to be in trouble because sometimes we're not going to do good. So what we want to learn is to find that place of worth um, and that place of self-respect. And that is what I think gives women this, this, this magic dust. And when a woman, we all have it, but it's not always activated. It's not the fa- the flames of that little fire might be like very barely burning. And then there are the things that we can do to just fan that and bring out that inner like vitality, that inner confidence that comes from saying, I'm not perfect. I'm never going to be, but I know that my heart is mostly in the right place. I know that I try to do the next right thing. I know that I love the people that I love with all of my heart. I know that if my husband needed a kidney, he could fucking have it. (laughs) I know that I would, you know, drive across the country to pick up my baby niece. And we start to think about the reasons that we're worthy, that are not external, that are not fading. Cause let's be freaking clear. There will always be, always be someone prettier, more successful, younger, in better shape. And if we are measuring ourselves by that measuring stick, it's never going to work. And so what's, what shifted for me over a lifetime is this sense of like, I might not be those things and I might be these things and I might not be these things forever. But what I do know is the love that I bring to a partnership, the life that I, the laughter, the that is my magic special sauce that exists in other women, but not in the constellation that it exists in me. And that place of self-confidence, that's the thing that, that draws people from everywhere, right? We want to be around people like that because it's not ego, it's humility, but it's vitality and it's gratitude and it's presence. And it's all of those things that make us the most attractive because that's part of it. It's like we're trying to be attractive to other people, but that's the byproduct of living that way. It makes you happy first. It makes you peaceful first. It makes you grateful first. And then the, the byproduct of it is that you have confidence that people can feel. So if you're trying to look for confidence in the next 
personal best, you know, in a workout class. And if you can just get the abs and if you can just get the, you know, whatever. And I'll tell you, I was, had the abs. I had the, what people would look at and think, she's got, you know, the standard of what people would want. And if I didn't feel my worth from an infinite, never outside of myself, but within me place, it didn't freaking matter. Mm -hmm. And, um, and that is what I work on with my clients is finding this, like, you're precious. You're, you're lovely. You're, you're chosen to be here. Your, you, your eyes crinkle when you laugh and you think of people and you think of thoughtful gifts and you are curious about someone's family. And like, that is what makes you, that's your worth. The, the constellation of magic that you are. Um, and then that shines out through the outside. And that's sort of what we're working to do. And it's tough in a world that's telling us every single time we scroll through anything, what makes us enough? Yes. I, I feel like I fell into the personal development world um, exactly when I needed to. And I mean that in, I know that you and I have both worked in addiction. So rock bottom is not a uh, term that we are not privy to. And mine was, I lost my dad really unexpectedly. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know where I was going. I didn't know where the books were going to take me. I just know that I, I just knew I needed something different. I knew that what I was doing wasn't working. It became so clear to me how precious life was. And I just started ingesting as much as I could books and podcasts and thought leaders and all of these different things. And being the type A perfectionist caretaker codependent that I was, I felt like if I could just do enough, if I could read enough of the books, if I could listen to enough of the podcasts, somehow that would manifest these things for me. Or I could talk the talk and I could have conversations with these people, but I was so leaned into the doing of yes. those things, yes. that no part of me was being those things. Yes. Can you, have you, A, have you seen that come up in your clients? And B, is that, how do we start to shift that? Yes. Full body chills. All I talk about is doing versus being. Um, and this idea of like living in the mind, living in the the games of the mind, the transactions of the mind. I do this. I get this. How should I say this? Orchestrating, orchestrating in order to be enough, in order to get our needs met and all of that, that stuff. And our mind is smart and our mind is astute and it's a good learner. And we just learn to sort of survive, but we are not dropped in, into the actual living of it and being it being of these ideas and these teachings and these lessons and, and just life. Right. And so what I see is the shift from sort of, and we all live in masculine and feminine energy. We all live in the doing energy of moving something forward, of steering towards a target of very laser focused on things and getting them done. It's necessary. It's helpful. It's wonderful energy. But what I found is, is many women are existing mostly in that energy. 
they're on a date. I'll just use this as an example. They're on a date and they're thinking about what they need to say next. They're thinking about how they sit on the chair to look the most attractive. They're thinking about laughing at a joke to seem hilarious. And, and what's happening is you are not living, right? You are puppet mastering. You are performing. And when we start to drop into embodying some of these things, and it's all found, and it's all very simple. It's all found in the present moment of like, how would we be different on a date when we're occupying this sort of, this human form, the room, the space, this now, and our, phys and our physical feminine energy? We would be in the seat. We would be leaned back and looking at the lights dancing off of the curtains. We would be taking a, you know, a bite of the delicious food and like letting ourselves savor it. We would be leaned back, listening to the person that we're talking to and thinking, that was really funny. And like letting the laughter come out of ourselves without policing it. We would be asking questions, not from a checklist, but I feel really curious about you. Tell me more about your mom. Right. And it's a different way of dropping into life. Um, and one of the best ways we can start to do that is simply by communicating with the words I feel. I coach my clients to try to use that language everywhere they can. At first, it feels really foreign, really weird, really cumbersome. Like <laughs> um, my husband would be like, you must say that a lot because you're a therapist. And I'm like, no, <laughs> if you only knew. I say that a lot because I'm trying to work on being in my body and in my life. Um, versus performing my way through it. Um, and so I think that being versus doing thing is really important. Um, and it's a really important shift to move the information from our head where we read it, where we consume it, and into our body where we live it and we be it. And that is, is really just found in every next breath, in every next moment. And the byproduct of that is it makes you really grateful. Because when you're scanning how you feel, you're like, I feel good, or actually, I feel sad here, but I also feel really excited for my smoothie. And I feel like that movie just like made me want to fall apart and cry. And we just become this like living, breathing star that's alive and like feeling and sensing. And I, I, I'm sounding really freaking woo woo right now, but <laughs> this is what I talk about with my clients. And I love that you brought this up because I think so many of us are performing on autopilot, intellectualizing things because the feminine feels weak, soft, passive, and it's anything but. Yep. It's where you have all of your power, all of your intuition, where you're personally responsible, where you're really present with other people, where you're not trying to row the boat and get things to happen and make someone have an impression of you, where you're confident enough to be in yourself and to just be with other people. And God, my life has gotten so much more peaceful, so much more simple. My relationships have just expanded and grown and are so much more rich from living in this way rather than being exactly we were we would have been president and vice president of that little club you know <laughs> perfectionists people pleasers codependent doers yeah yeah i love that you say that it's simple because it when i was so leaned into that masculine that doer that get it done when people would tell me take a breath meditate journal find the present moment i was like i don't have fucking time for that I'm doing all these things. Don't you see all the things I'm doing? I can't slow down. Yoga? I need a HIIT workout. That <laughs> produces results, yes. right? Yes. 
I get it. Yes. And I, it really honestly took until this year. I lost my dad in 2015. Okay. So this has been an ongoing and I, and it will continue to be this ongoing journey of self-discovery and, and development. And I really, I think that's why it's development. Like it's never actually done. It's not like Mm-mm. personal actualization. It's, it's developing. And yes. it really wasn't until this year and this year's ripe. It's March. So 2021 that, you know, I had done the mindfulness. I had tried the the yoga and I had done the things, but I never, was present in any of them. I was checking off my list Mm -hmm. and it has been so incredible to witness exactly what you are explaining. Like I spent a weekend where I had all of these plans and they all went to shit and I threw my pity party. And then I was like, what am I going to do this weekend? And I sat in intentional silence and I journaled and I, I got really clear on things. And, and again, like these things are not healed in a weekend, right? We know this, but what had, and this is me sounding woo woo, the abundance that has flown out of that weekend has been so unreal. Like conversations that I was too afraid to have or questions that I was nervous to ask. And now like call it manifestation, call it whatever you want. Like those things are truly flowing to me. Yes. Not forcing them. I'm not begging them to stay around. I'm not changing who I am in hopes that I'll attract whatever it is. And, and, and people had explained that to me, right? People had explained feminine energy to me before, but I was just like, no, not for me. That doesn't get results. (laughs) Yeah. So I love that you touched on that. And I am totally in support of women, especially because of my own journey, leaning into that divine feminine. And I think that when we, you know, to circle back to what we were talking about earlier, when we do start to set these boundaries, when we do start to have these hard conversations, if we're leaning into that, they're still hard conversations. Yeah. And they flow so much differently. Or like, that fear of, is he going to leave? It's like, for me, when I'm leaning into my feminine, it's like, and if he leaves, here's like, let me close the door behind you because you're not serving it anymore anyway. Yes. That is the idea that we can row the boat enough that we'll get to where we want to be doesn't work with other people. If you want to do that on a marathon training, you know, I mean, you could outside of injury, you could row your own boat to get to cross that finish line. But when it comes to other people, friends and colleagues and lovers and whatever it might be, that the idea that we could just do enough to get the result we want, um, it, it, it doesn't work. When we lean forward that hard, we, we just, not, well, I'm, doing things with my hands. People can't see, but we, when we lean forward that hard, the only place to go for that other person is back. Right. Mm -hmm. And so it, this trust of like, if I just embody what I want, responsibly communicate what I want, he may go, but then he needs to go or she needs to go, or, you know, the mom needs to, or whatever the boundary or whatever the shift is and trusting that if I don't make this happen and it ends up falling apart, that 
but no amount of me patching it together would have ever worked. Mm-hmm. It's a fallacy. It's an illusion that we could push, cajole, fix, manage, or control people into being what we want them to be for us. We are much more likely to get what we want from the people who are capable of giving it to us when we show up this way. Um, and, and, it, and showing up this way makes us better fighters because we become, I'm not blaming you. I'm not telling you what to do. I'm just telling you what I need. I'm telling you what feels good for me. And I get to see if you're able to receive that and pivot and show up that way. And if you're not, I can still be loving. I always say it's really easy for us to have a soft front to be this like open exchange of of feelings and communication when we have a strong back, when Mm. we have our own back, when we have our own sense of worth. And sometimes we have to build that sense of worth by showing up this way. So because we're building trust with ourselves to take care of ourselves. So yeah, I love that you gave yourself, you met yourself that weekend is really what happened, right? You made space for you and whatever needed to come forward and things got released. And then that frees up your energy to focus elsewhere. Um, and I remember I was running for myself for, mo- for a really long time. And when I sat, first started to sit with her, I mean, how was, I was probably like 25 when all of this really started to like come forward for me. And I mean, the years of journals, the years of meeting these things, the years of like forgiving myself and all of the stuff that comes with it. Again, the weekend of journaling and meeting yourself is not always easy. Sometimes there's a lot of tears. Sometimes we need a therapist to move through some of the stuff that's come up there. Um, But it's always the gateway to more freedom Mm -hmm. is what I found. When you do start to heal those things and especially working as closely with women as you do, I think it can feel um, dooming or like some relational death sentence to then say, hey, you're showing up as this super conscious being in this relationship that you've been in for a really long time. So how do you work with that? With people who are in relationships, toxic or not, that are becoming different people? Because we've all heard that you've changed or you're not the girl I fell in love with. Um, How do you work with that? Well, I think if we've really healed, then we're really accepting other people where they are. It's when we heal, quote unquote, and we start to, you know, like, well, then you need to do this too, right? And, and when we're telling other people to do what we've done and we're, but when we heal and we are in doing that from a the embodied place, we can oftentimes become more loving. We can oftentimes become more responsible in our communication. And oftentimes, you know, a rising tide lifts all ships sometimes that can have the the effect that like, oh, she's talking to me in a totally different way. She's telling me clearly what she needs instead of expecting me to read her mind. Oh, she's appreciating me more than she ever did. So sometimes I've found that when women do this work, it can actually reinvigorate the relationships that they're in. Um, some I don't get everyone to break up with everyone. I know it seems like it. Like my whole goal, you know, because a lot of people come to me for that. They're it's very toxic, and I use toxic because it's the accurate word for it. Um, when you're in a relationship that the behaviors in that relationship are making you sick, that's toxic. Um, but but sometimes what happens is people work with me, and through some of this, they appreciate their partner in a whole new way. 
They see the ways that they were outsourcing responsibility to someone that wasn't their responsibility to make them happy, to make them excited, to make their life feel magical. And suddenly they start to like, oh my God, he's a really good man and he's really steady and he's always been there for me and he's provided for me in this way. And holy shit, I see him differently. Um, and then sometimes we can grow and the person doesn't, isn't able to meet us, is you know, intimidated by, we become a mirror essentially sometimes mm -hmm. where people see a reflection in us that they don't want to see. And that's tough. And that's why a lot of us don't change because we know if we change, things will change and, we, and we're struggling with that. Um, so I think every relationship is different and some, some rise up and some part ways. And um, then that was what was supposed to be because if the most embodied, enlightened, healed version of you um, requires you to, sh to dumb yourself down in order to be partnered, then it's not serving anybody, as we all know. But yeah, it's, I mean, it's tough. Uh, I, a woman I love, uh, Alexandra, is it Dr. Solomon? Um, the, she's a psychiatrist or psychologist or um, therapist out of Northwestern University. Her, her uh, Instagram is lovely. And she talks about like long-term partnership is about really being able to fall in love with the many, many versions of this person and who they're going to be over time. And so I think in every longer term relationship, if that's your goal, it's not everyone's goal, that's fine. But if it's your goal to have longer term partnership in whatever its form, we have to learn to like, as we reinvent ourselves, learn to be with new versions of the people that we love. Um, that's what can make it exciting um, and hard. There's another long answer, long-winded answer to your question. That's what podcasts I, are for. I know. I've got the yap today. You're asking all this good stuff, and I'm yapping more than I do. I love it. Um, so I know that we've talked about bringing awareness and becoming conscious in your patterns. And for, you know, therapist to therapist, we know how important mirroring and showing up for someone is. I think that there's more, there's more work that I do as a therapist that is nonverbal yeah. than I do giving any sort of reflection or intervention or anything like that. Yeah. So if people are not working with a coach, not working with a therapist, but they're wanting to bring in this more conscious way of being, more conscious way of interacting in relationship, what are some steps that they might be able to do to, to begin that journey? Yeah. So as always, I mean, I'm, I'm clearly an advocate. I'm an advocate for just coaches and therapists. Like if you don't know something and someone else does, like I just spent an hour with the dog trainer that is saving my life for my dog. So obviously if you have access to it and I got scrappy, I get it. If you're on a budget and you don't have health insurance, like I'm not going to be one of those bougie people. That's like, just, you know, if you really, if it really meant something to you, you'd find the money. Like I know what that's like. I was, you know, in college, dirt poor you know, looking for therapists who would see me on a sliding fee and I was not going to dinners in order to pay for my therapy or whatever it was or asking my mom to help me. Um, so I get it. But I think if you can do that, that's one of the best ways to have someone else reflect back to you. I think journaling is an excellent opportunity to mirror because there's something about seeing your thoughts on paper 
that they're reflected back to you in a different way. You can see themes, you can see stories, you can see, you know, if that works for you, some people aren't journaling people. I think all of our relationships, no matter what, are teachers. I think if we can look around us and see common themes, see common triggers, um, and use these places as opportunities for growth, like what's happening to me? Am I making myself small at work? And what's the story behind that? And what's showing up here? Am I sitting here full of resentment, accepting treatment that feels less than what I want in my partnership? Okay. So I believe that, you know, this like, our life is always a mirror for us. And, and, and one of the best ways to do some of this work is with a conscious mirror, which is what a therapist or a coach would be. Um, but if you, you know, and a lot of these like online places are great. Like you can get really good deals, you know, for a, a teletherapy. Um, so I encourage you to do that. But if not journaling, And I believe like you did, I dove into all the podcasts, all the self-help books. I mean, I listened into my most, you know, difficult, struggling, anxious times. I listened to, I owe a lot of people, a lot of money (laughs) for all of their free content. And I'm going to, you know, I'm giving back now, but they saved me because what happens is, is as you listen to these things, one idea sticks and these leave and then this, oh, this is a new way to see myself. And so I just believe that the more that we absorb other ways of thinking, take what we need and leave the rest. The more that we look to people who not as our guru, not as our source, but as potentiality or as an offering or as an educator that we might glean some things. So those are, those are, I think the places to start um, depending on your budget. You know, that's why I, I have always not from an ego place felt compelled to write books, but from a, when all I had was $10, those $10 books did me a world of good. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, that's where I think I would start. And what was, I'm trying not to pry too hard, but I know you said that you got into kind of having your awakening, your personal develop awakening, if you will, at 25. Yeah. Was there an event a like conscious decision what sparked that for you yeah um being a therapist (laughs) so (laughs) i had you know fast tracked through college i had had a double major i had had you know i was still in my like wild child phase like the first year of college after that i was you know 4.0 4.0 through through grad school like grinding perfect getting it all done best internships job right away running the treatment center within a couple of years and then there i was 25 running a treatment center responsible for all of this and all of the ways in which i wasn't practicing good self-care that i was consumed with the emotions of other people and not present to mine wasn't a breakdown it was a break open it was a blessing it was all of those best attempts to cope that no longer served me. I'd grown too big and too, too, you know, beyond the the functioning of those coping skills. And so all of a sudden all this anxiety came forward and all of these, all of this pain and all of this opportunity to really sort through things from my past. And I've been in therapy, you know, my whole life, but also just like we process things differently. I think at different ages, like what the work that you might do on your childhood at 25 might be different than the work that you do at 40. 
Um, so that was really what happened. I found myself with all of this responsibility, trying to be all things for all people and trying to be perfect in a very imperfect system with clients who are really, really sick and hurting, um, who, and in a community that didn't have enough resources. And it, it was a moment where I had to really stop all of the over-functioning and really start to take care of myself in a much deeper way. Um, tend to my spirituality, not just in practicing it, like you were talking about, the doing of it, the, even the just saying the prayers versus feeling it, versus turning off the TV and not listening to any more trauma and putting myself in nature and getting, and I had already been off caffeine, but I had started to like, coworker loved Diet Coke and she would give me, and I was starting to do things that just weren't good for my body and had to clean up everything and, and heal and cry, cry a fuck ton. <laughs> um, <laughs> and yeah, so that's sort of the beautiful opportunity that, and in anyone in any healing profession, you will meet yourself and it's the best because you need to. And because you can't go in, well, so many of us, right? They, it's the research, uh, I can't remember what it, uh, where it was or, but they call it, it's like the therapy monkeys. They did research on monkeys and the ones that, you know, ran in to help when the other monkeys were in crisis were the ther the monkeys who had been through enough trauma of their own, but not so much that they were debilitated so they could go in and help. And I think so many people who are in the helping field have that, some of that wounded healer kind of stuff. Um, we were helped and so we want to help, but we have to get out of that energy of like, I'll be enough when I help other people. I'm the benevolent source of this person's breakthrough. And the beautiful part of that is I got over all of that. I got into like, I'm just a, a vessel. I'm just an offering. They're personally responsible for them because I had to be personally responsible for my own healing. Um, and I knew that I walked out with me and with my higher power and that that's the goal for anyone who's working with me, not to rely on me, to, but, but to rely on their own connection to themselves and their source. So, yeah, thank God for break opens when you're 25. Hell yeah. That was, hey, same, almost same timing. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Um, so if people are going through their break open, they want to work with a coach, they want to work with you, how would they get a hold of you? Where do they find you? So I'm on tiffanylouise.com and I'm tiffany.louise on Instagram. I have a contact form um, that you would um, submit. Um, and if it's not me, then I would say, you know, uh, Psychology Today is a beautiful um, search engine for therapists in your network, in your zip code. What's cool right now is that a lot of therapists are doing teletherapy, which has not always been the case. Mm -hmm. So most uh providers of therapy have to be licensed in the state that you're in. But what's cool now is if a therapist is doing teletherapy in California, you could see someone anywhere in California. Um, so there's a lot more access, I think, now than ever before because of how some of this has shifted. So, you know, I think that looking for people in your insurance network, looking for people on psychology today, finding the people who are willing to do sliding fees at community centers because they're learning, working with, I saw clients as an intern in college um, for free at a counseling center because I was learning and I got people supervising me between a, behind a two-way mirror. So anywhere you can get help, I think um, it's one of, obviously, I've been preaching about it the whole time, but 
it's it's only because I have the life that I have now because of it. Um, and I think it's one of the best investments that you can make in your life. I could not agree more. Thank you so much, Tiffany. This was amazing. And I'm sure people are going to freak out when they hear it. So hope to get you back on the show sometime in the future. Thank you for having me and your beautiful questions and your beautiful heart. <laughs> Thank you.